Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves by studying His Word in order to lead us to a personal transformational relationship with God. And this is a special podcast episode called Finding Hope When Life Seems Dark, focusing on Habakkuk chapters 1 to 2. Now here's Mark Sheldrake as he leads us in prayer. together. Father God, we do thank you for the time that we have together to sing praises to you, to worship your name. And as we open your word now, we pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds to receive the truth that we're going to see this morning. Father, we give you this time. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Oh, yes. You didn't forget. It's so good to see all of your eyes. Yes. Just a couple more weeks, right? Goodbye. Masks. Praise the Lord. Ah, I can't wait. Anyway, I am excited to be with you this morning. And uh, Pastor Mark called me and he said, "Uh, preach what you're learning, right? He said, whatever you're studying right now, that's why I want you to preach this week. And I I thought to myself, whoa, man, I just finished Revelation 17 to 22. (laughs) Maybe that's not the best uh, place to pick up in the scriptures this week. So I'm actually going to draw us to a passage that uh, the Lord has been kind of laying on my heart, and hopefully you'll see some stuff in the text today uh, that um, will encourage you as well. So I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk, all right? So, uh, you know, your sword drills of the Sunday school days, where in the world is Habakkuk? Okay, well, it's right next to Nahum, (laughs) Where's Nahum? Well, it's pretty close to Micah, all right? Oh, man, I don't know. If you get to Jonah, just turn right. Uh, Just keep turning right until you get to Habakkuk, and you will uh, find it in the section of the Bible, the Old Testament, where all of those minor prophets are gathered together. Why are they minor prophets? Well, because their letters are shorter than the major prophets. That's it. All right, it's not that they played less of a role in the history of Israel. Uh, they just have shorter um, things to say. All right, so before we get into Habakkuk, all right, so I want to um, lay out some questions for you. And one of the things that I want to look at first, and, and I don't know if you folks have this question coming to mind, but I have this question coming to mind. And so I think if I have it, you must have it. If you have a heartbeat and you breathe oxygen, you must have the same question that I have, and that is, what is going on in this world? Do you have that question? Whew, we can move forward, because if you didn't have that question, it's just me. All right, so here, here I made a list of some of the things that I'm seeing going on in the world right now that are just blowing my mind, okay? Here they are. 
uh, we are on the brink of World War III. Did you think that you would ever hear those words coming out of somebody's mouth in this time of year? We just finished, or we're still in, I don't know, a global pandemic. So we've had two years of COVID-19 restrictions and mandates and all of these different things going on, and it looks like we're getting some hope of losing all of the mandates and restrictions that come around COVID, and then we have this guy in Russia that decides he's going to go off and bomb the Ukraine and bring all of these countries into the position of potentially, I'm not saying it is, potentially a World War III. Okay, that's, that's two big things. Uh, we have people filling capital cities with frustrated over what's happening with COVID. You seen that in the news lately? Uh, we also have a criminal justice system that seems to allow criminals to get off easy and get back into the world and do more crime. Do you see that happening? We have people who have stopped declaring truth, but declaring their moral feelings more than they determine to declare what is true. Uh, it gets worse. We have false teachers who stand in the places that I am standing right now, and they preach false doctrine, and they lead churches astray down a road that brings them further away from the glory of God. Well, the question that comes out of this is not only why is this happening in the world, but what are you doing? Right? Does anybody look up and go, Lord, what are you doing in the world right now? Are the only one that asks that question too? In the book of Habakkuk, he has a series of questions for God. And we're going to look at those questions and we're going to lay them out together. And I want to first set you up, all right? I want to set you up for the historical setting, all right? So context, context is king in scripture. It is the most important thing for you to understand. All right, I got a timeline. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. Is it up there now? It's coming, hopefully. Let's look. Habakkuk is written around the time of 621 to 609 BC, all right? So if uh, you can remember and you can think back, if you just look at this timeline, all right, well, look who's really close. Do you remember when I was here with you folks in the summertime? Look, look who's really close there. This guy by the name of Daniel. This is uh, four years when Habakkuk is actually penned to paper is four years before the book of Daniel, all right, so here's the significant events that have taken place in the life and history of Judah up until this time. All right, so uh, this can't take our whole time. I got to do this fast, okay? Bear with. All right, 640 to 609 is a king by the name of Josiah. 
All right, you can find this king in Kings and Chronicles. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. At 16 years old, he began to seek the Lord at the power, at the message that came through the prophet Nahum. Nahum preached, repent and return to God. Josiah heard that message and Josiah began to seek the Lord. And then when he was around 20 years old, he began to purge the land of all of the idol worship that his grandfather uh, Amon or his father Amon and his grandfather Manasseh had done in the land. All right, so Josiah is clean in house. He is getting rid of all the sin. Josiah is the king that finds the book of the law in the rubble of the temple and he reads it and he says, we need to change. He brings everybody in Judah to bring about revival. They make a covenant before God to seek after God. And they do this for Josiah's entire reign all the way to 609 B.C., In 609 BC, Josiah goes to war. And as he's fighting in war, he is killed by Pharaoh Necho. And so after Pharaoh kills Josiah, of course, you're going to have a new king put in place. And so you're going to see that three months right there, Jehoiachin only reigns for three months and then he dies. And the king that comes in after him is Jehoiakim. All right, Jehoiakim comes into power, and I want to take you to the verses where uh, Jehoiakim comes into power. And this is 2 Kings chapter 23. So turn in your Bible. Don't lose your spot in Habakkuk, or you might not get back there. Okay, so keep your finger there. And look at 2 Kings uh, chapter 23. And we're going to look at verses 31 to 37, okay? 2 Kings 23, 31 to 37, all right? So here it is, verse 31. Jehoaz was 23 years old when he became king. He reigned three months in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hamachul, the daughter of Jeremiah, of Libna. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that the fathers, his fathers had done. Pharaoh Necho imprisoned him at Ribla in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem, and he imposed on the land a fine of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. Verse 34. All right, Pharaoh, Necho, made Eliakim, or Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king in the place of Josiah, his father. He changed his name to Jehoiakim, but he took Jehoaz away and brought him to Egypt, and he died there. So Jehoiakim gave the silver and the gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land in order to give the money at the command of Pharaoh. He exacted the silver and the gold from the pharaoh of the land, from the people of the land, each according to his valuation to give to Pharaoh Necho. Now, this is the big verse right here in the last two. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebedah, the daughter of Padiah of Arumah. He did evil 
in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. All right, so do you see when Jehoiakim came into power, the two kings, one reigned three months and one reigned much longer. But both those kings who followed in behind Josiah, did you hear the statement that went along with them? They did evil in the sight of the Lord. How evil was Jehoiakim? All right, well, we're going to look that up, and we're going to go over to the book of Jeremiah, and we're going to see how evil he was. Okay, so look at Jeremiah chapter 26, uh, verses 20 to 23. All right, so if you look at this chart as you're flipping, who is the contemporary prophet that is also preaching to Judah at the time of Habakkuk? It's Jeremiah. All right, so Jeremiah is the uh, major prophet of that time. He is the weeping prophet. Nobody listened to this guy when he preached. All right, so you're still with me though, right? You're not Jeremiahing me right now? All right, good. Jeremiah 26, uh, verses 20 to 23. All right, look what it says here. Indeed, there was also a man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah, the son of Shemaiah from the Kiriath Jerim. And he prophesied against the city and against this land's uh, words similar to those of Jeremiah. When King Jehoiakim and all his mighty men and all the officials heard his words, then the king sought to put Uriah to death. But Uriah heard it, and he was afraid, and he went to Egypt. King Jehoiakim sent the men to Egypt, Ilnathan, the son of Akbar, and the certain men with him went into Egypt, and they brought Uriah from Egypt and led him to King Jehoiakim, who slew him with the sword and cast his dead body into the burial place of the common people. All right, so how bad was Jehoiakim? He killed a prophet of God. That's pretty serious. That's pretty, pretty bad stuff going on. All right, so Habakkuk picks up. Okay, look what he's seen. He has seen jo- Josiah clear the land of all the sin. He has seen this Judah be revived, following after God for many, many years. He has seen altars destroyed. He has seen the bones of priests burned as a nation turns back to God. And then Josiah dies in war. Jehoiakim comes into place. He kills a prophet. He does evil in the sight of the Lord. And he ushers in idol worship back into the land. And that's where Habakkuk picks up. Habakkuk has seen the greatness of God at work in the country. He has seen now evil overtaking the land. Is this not what we're seeing right now? Is this not the same position we are in that Habakkuk was in way back then in 609? We look at the world and we say, What is happening here? Sin is reigning. Where is righteousness? 
I mean, just this week, I sat and I watched, and we have people, just like you have been speaking to pastors in Ukraine, our precept people have gone back into Ukraine to go and teach Bible studies to the refugees. But you see, I'm looking and I'm saying, how can somebody bomb, for example, a maternity ward? What kind of evil does that? How can evil reign? Look at verse one of Habakkuk as we finally get into the text. That's a big buildup, I told you. It was a big buildup, but we're here now. All right, look at first verse. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. All right, you're probably wondering to yourself, we won't even go any further. How, how, we're never gonna get through this. It's gonna be 1230. But the oracle, this simply means this. It is a burden or a heavy weight, just like you would see a donkey carrying a pack. It's a prophetic utterance from God that carries a heavy burden. The oracle of Habakkuk, the prophet, saw, and look at how he starts. You grammar people, you're going to see it right away. He says, how long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? Okay, this is the first question of a number of questions we're going to look at. All right, so if you're writing this down and you're taking notes, question number one from Habakkuk is, How long will I call to you for help, God, and you don't hear? Well, we can just pause, and we can stop, and we can say, have you ever made that statement for yourself? Have you ever been praying to God and asking for the voice of God to be heard in your life, and you continually say, how long do I need to call out, God, for me to hear from you? I've been there. God, why are you silent in the midst of the trial and the difficulty that is going on? You see, what Habakkuk's telling us right here in this first verse and the second verse is this does not indicate to me in any way that this is the first time that Habakkuk has called out to God asking for a response. How long am I going to have to cry out for help and you will not hear? Now look what he cries to him. He says, I cry to you violence. Violence. Well, what just happened according to the timeline, right? I just showed you that the new king is ushering evil back in and he killed a prophet. Uh, Habakkuk's a prophet. Uh, Violence is coming against the message of God. He says, I cry out to you in violence and yet you do not save He says, why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Do you see what he's saying here? Okay, here's the second question that he asks. The first question is, why, how long do I have to cry out for help before you hear me? The second question is, he says, why do you make me see iniquity? And cause me 
to look at wickedness. I mean, these are some of the questions we're probably asking right now. How can that be happening in the world? Why do I have to see all this sin and iniquity going on? But then Habakkuk's going to tell us, he's going to tell us the problem. Okay, he's going to tell us the violence and the wickedness that he sees in the world. Okay, look at verse three again. Uh, why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yet destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists. Contentions arise. <laughs> Any contention in the world right now? Any, any fighting amongst uh, people groups over, over certain things? Uh, we're living in the most polarized time in the history of the world. I would say that there's some contention and some strife in the world. Look at the therefore, the terms of conclusion that come from verse four. He says, the law is ignored. Justice is never upheld. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. <laughs> uh, sound familiar? Any of this sound familiar? Okay, now to blow your minds, folks. This is in Judah. This is, this is in the land that has seen all of the revival. This is where God was doing some amazing work through the King Josiah, but now the turn under the leadership of Jehoiakim, there is the law. It's completely ignored. Justice isn't upheld. There's, there's people being blamed for breaking the law and there's no proper court for them to go to. They're just determined guilty. Wicked surround the righteous people that are there. There are corrupt judges. There are corrupt people who are running the entire system. And because of that, justice comes out perverted. You see... Our lives, we are not so much different than the time of Habakkuk because we can look back and we can look through everything that's going on and these are the questions that we can be asking today. How long, God, will I cry out before you answer me? Why do you make me look at all of this wickedness? Why is the world doing what the world is doing right now? God, where are you? I wrote a little note here, so I'll make sure I say this right. Okay, you and I, people, humankind, we tend to be filled with complaints. We can complain a lot. We can be good at it. But a lot of the times, our complaints are going in the wrong direction. You see, we would rather talk about God than talk to God. We would rather complain about 
God and what he's not doing than we would to complain to God and see why he's doing what he's doing. But Habakkuk gives us the opportunity. He shows us the path. He says, it is okay to question what God is doing in the world. It's okay to have that conversation with him and ask questions of what is happening. Habakkuk is the great example of the willingness to go to God and seek him with what is happening in our world. All right, now, uh, not sure how your Bible is laid out, but verse five is actually a change in voice. All right, so somebody else begins to talk here. And uh, this other person that begins to talk is God himself. Listen to what uh, God responds to Habakkuk. Remember the questions. How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you won't hear me? Why do you make me look at this wickedness and sin that is before me? In verse 5, God comes onto the stage and he says, look among the nations. Listen to the words. Listen to the words that God uses to Habakkuk. He says, observe. Be astonished. Wonder. Why? Because I'm doing something in your days. Do you hear it? He says, look out among the nations, Habakkuk. You you see what's happening right here in, in the storm that is around you. But look out into the nations. I am doing something in your day. Observe, be, be astonished, and wonder. I wrote in the margin right here is that God is already at work and we may not know it. That's what he's telling Habakkuk. You look at everything that's going on here, but I'm already at work. I love the end of that, verse five. He says, you would not believe if you were told. Let me put this into the language that you and I will easily understand. Uh, I'm at work, hangeth thou in there, and be amazed at what I'm doing because you ain't gonna believe it, right? I'm doing something and it is going to blow your mind. And now he's gonna tell us what he's doing. And I promise you, when you look at this, if, if you were Habakkuk, the, the top of your head might pop right off. For behold, I, God, What am I doing? I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Uh, If you want, you can write in your margin there, Nebuchadnezzar. That's the Babylonians. The same Babylonians that did three sieges of Judah, one with Daniel, two with Daniel, one with Ezekiel. 
He says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce, impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour all of them. And all of them come for violence. They hoard their faces and move forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are laughing a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. They will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty, they whose strength is their God. <laughs> I mean, just to, to, to gather the thoughts of being Habakkuk in this position, uh, all he sees is wickedness. He's hearing no answer from God. He's crying out that God would judge this wickedness and bring righteousness back to his people, that they could get back to the days of Josiah. Anybody love those days when you used to walk uphill both ways to school in rubber boots with Sears catalogs to keep your feet warm? We want to go back to the good old days. And so does Habakkuk. Why? Because God was full authority. God was worshipped and praised in the temple. God was loved by a nation. But now evil surrounds. And this is what God says. He says, be astonished, be amazed, be in wonder. I'm doing something you won't believe. I'm raising up one of the fiercest armies in the world. And that army is going to sweep across the world. And they are going to take people out. They're going to laugh at any king that's in charge. They're going to look at any castle and say, that's not fortified. I can take that out. Their horses are going to run across. And they are going to have destruction follow in behind them. And they are the ones that are going to do the work of God. God. Huh. I don't know about you, but that probably poses a lot more questions than I have answers for. Beginning with, why God would you use such a wicked and sinful people to do such a holy work? And that is the third question that Habakkuk asks. And we'll look at that together. Observe, be astonished, wonder. I'm doing something in your days. That something is a guy named Nebuchadnezzar and he is about to walk through Judah three times. And by time he's through Judah three times, there will be no temple. There will be no fortified walls and everybody will be back in Babylon for 70 years of captivity. Look what he says in verse 12, because this starts to, to bring us to, to the application of our entire message that we have together today, and this is what we will apply as we work through. Uh, Habakkuk has really good theology. I hope so. He's a prophet of God. Look what he says. He says, are you not from everlasting 
O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them, the Chaldeans, to judge. And you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. You cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? He's asking that of the Chaldeans. That's the question. Why would you look with favor on such a wicked people to use them for your holy work? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? The wicked also a reference to those Chaldeans. So let me walk you quickly through Habakkuk's amazing theology, all right? Because I'm a, a precept person, I created a list. You like lists? Do you like to write lists? Here's all of the characteristics of God found in these verses, 12 and 13, okay? First, God is everlasting, There is no end to him. Second, he is holy. Third, he is Lord. He is the I am. He is the rock. He's immovable. He's unshakable. These are all the things that he knows about God. Now, you th- now, I missed one, and I missed it on purpose. Because Habakkuk says, we will not die. What does Habakkuk know about his God? He knows that God keeps his word. That way back in Genesis, with a man named Abraham... There was a promise, an everlasting covenant that God's people would be a nation, that their descendants would be many. He also made a covenant that there would be one through David who would sit on the throne forever. And so when Habakkuk says, we will not die, he looks back and he remembers the covenant-keeping God, knowing that even though this army is coming, he will not wipe out all of God's people, but will leave a remnant for himself. So God is one who keeps his word. Uh, He's everlasting, he's holy, he keeps his word. Uh, He is sovereign, he appoints times and people. He is the rock, he's immovable, he's unshakable. And then we also see that his eyes are too pure to approve evil. You can't look on wickedness with favor. Uh, God is just. All of these things come out of what Habakkuk knows about his God. 
Now, this is the amazing part of this whole passage, and this is, this is, this is the end, folks. This is where we begin to apply, because I'm going to give you three things from chapter 2 that you and I can do. But here's what we need to know, all right? When we look at what's going on around us, we can cry out the same things that Habakkuk did. Why, God, are you not answering when I call? How can you allow all of this wickedness to happen in the world? How can you use something so unholy to bring about something that is holy? And what does Habakkuk do? He immediately goes into the depths of his brain and he says, what do I know about God? What do I know? What do I know about the character of God? Regardless of everything that I see happening in this world, look how he reminds himself. He says, God, you are everlasting. God, you are holy. God, you are the promise keeper. God, you are sovereign. You're immovable. You're unshakable. There is nothing that you can do. You cannot stand in wickedness. You are just. All of these things, he looks and he says to himself, you know what? He is going to do something amazing. Be astonished by those things. But I need to remember that God sits on his throne and he is in control of everything that happens in this world. And as we remind ourselves of those things, we can have peace at what God is doing in our world. You see, this is... This is the amazing part of Habakkuk, the oracle, the burden that he's carrying for his nation. And what does he do? How does he relieve that burden? He reminds himself of the character of God. It's absolutely amazing. Now look what he says at the end of this chapter because he's gonna lay down. He's gonna be like, God, how can you use this nation? And then he, lays, he gives us what these Chaldeans do. Okay? He says, the Chaldeans bring all of the people up with a hook. Uh, Jehoiakim was brought with a hook. All right, This is the things that have happened to him. He says, they drag them away with their net. He compares this all to fishing. And he says, and he gathers them together in their fishing net. And they rejoice and they are glad. They celebrate that they have taken out nations and people and gathered them all together and brought them back to Babylon. They offer a sacrifice to their net. They thank themselves. They worship themselves, their own power. As the verse already told us earlier, their God is their power and their pride. And they worship themselves for what they have done. Because through these things, their catch is large. Their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? God, are you going to let these people keep doing what they're doing? Because they're destroying left and right. But if you look at the end of verse 11, he says, but they will be held guilty. Those whose strength is their God. Well, if you study the book of Daniel, you can see uh, how the Babylonians were kept accountable in their time. But I want to take us quickly to chapter two, and I'm going to give us three things, three things that we, you and I can do to live in the world that we're living in right now. All right, so, so we won't read all of chapter two. I'm gonna just draw some verses, but I'm gonna read the first four. All right, verse two says, I will stand at my guard post and I'll station on the rampart 
and I will keep to see, keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Uh, the first thing that we see that Habakkuk does is he says, I'm gonna stand on guard and I'm gonna watch what God is gonna do. <laughs> right? Uh, I, I've been asking all these questions and he says, be amazed, be astonished, hold on, I'm doing something, God is at work. And he says, I'm gonna watch and see what God does. Okay, it says, and how may I reply when I'm reproved? The Lord answered me and said, listen, now this is God speaking. He says, record the vision, inscribe it on tablets, that one who reads it may run for the vision is yet for the appointed time. I hasten toward the goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come and it will not delay. You hear what God's saying? Write it down. Record what I'm telling you about the Chaldeans coming. Why? So that the one who reads it can run. But the vision is what? For God's appointed time. It's for the time that God has put in place and that time is coming quickly. Ah, four years. 609, 605. Four years. Though it tarries, may not like, look like I'm doing anything. I'm doing something. And look what he says to do. Wait. Wait for it. For it will certainly come and it will not delay. Now, God continuing to speak in verse four. Boy, this is gonna ring familiar for some of you, right? You might, maybe a light bulb's gonna come on here. Behold, as for the proud one, the Chaldeans, his soul is not right within him. But, what's it say, folks? Read it out. The righteous will what? Heard it before? Anybody looked into the New Testament? The righteous will live by faith. Uh, this verse is one of the crown jewels of the Old Testament. This verse right here is the verses that Martin Luther was reading, which unlocked the book of Romans for him. Righteousness lives by faith. God says, I have a plan. I am working that plan. Wait for that plan. Have faith in your God. So what is the first assurance for you and I when we look at the world right now? You and I, we live by faith. We know that God is working in the world. We may not always see it. His plan may tarry back and forth. But you and I are living for one moment in time. And let me remind you of that one moment in time. It is when faithful and true, the Son of Man rides a white horse and he comes back to this earth to reclaim what is rightfully his. That's why we live by faith, for the second coming of Jesus Christ, for the hope that is to come. All right, let me give you assurance number two. 
Assurance number two is found in Habakkuk chapter two, verse 12 to 14. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with violence. It is not indeed from the Lord of hosts that people toil for fire and nations grow weary for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of who? Wow. What does God say there? Assurance number two for you and I. One day, the world will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. We see wickedness, we see violence, we see all of this happening, but there will be a day when Jesus will reign on the throne on this earth and the whole world will know that this is Jesus' kingdom and the glory of the Lord will fill this place. (laughs) I'm excited about that. Bet you some of you thought, oh man, maybe he is gonna teach Revelation. All right, let's look at the last one. The last assurance comes at the end of Habakkuk chapter two. Let's look at verse 18 to the end. What profit is the idol when it makes us, when its maker has carved it, or an image, a teacher of falsehood? For its maker trusts in his own handiwork. When he fashions speechless idols, woe to him who says, a piece of wood awake. To the mute stone arise. And that is your teacher. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath inside it at all. Ah, precept. But, remember? Anything after but is usually good or bad. But the Lord is in his temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Here's assurance number three for you and I. The first is we live by faith. We know that the glory of the Lord will fill this earth and sin will be wiped off it. But right now, where's the Lord? He's in his temple. And what's he doing there? Well, Psalm 2 tells us that his feet are up. And he laughs and scoffs at the plans of man. But Habakkuk is being told that God is in control. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. God is in complete control. Nothing, absolutely nothing in this world happens outside of God's plan and God's design. Do you see how important this is when we begin to have questions like Habakkuk has? Why 
when I call, do you not answer? Why do you allow me to see violence and wickedness? Why do you allow the righteous to be surrounded by wickedness where the law is ignored and all of these things that are happening that looks like we are in a losing battle for the kingdom of God? But the three assurances that were given meant they are game changers. If we can wrap our minds around these truths and live them out, that we live by faith, that we know that God doesn't stand with evil and he will wipe it off the face of this earth and the glory of the Lord will be filled and that God is in his temple and he is in control and nothing happens outside his, of his plan. So here's how you get through the days ahead. When you see the violence and you see all the stuff that's happening and you feel like God is not calling answering your prayers, remind yourself of the characters of God. Hopefully you made a list. Live by faith, knowing that God is at work and we can't always see it. And finally, remember God is sovereign. He is in control. This is all we need to know. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you again for the truths that come from your word. I pray, Lord, that what we have seen in the book of Habakkuk, that it would be a truth that we could hang on to, that we could be people who truly do live by faith, that truly know that you are sovereign over all things, and that you win, Lord, that your glory will fill this earth. So help us to be people who keep our minds focused on what you are doing in the world and not what you are not doing. Make us very aware that you are fulfilling the plan that you have in place that started well before the beginning of the book of Genesis. We thank you for your son, Jesus, that through his death, burial, and resurrection, we have seen that your word reigns true, that you are a promise keeper, and that we can hold on to these truths as we wait for your return. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast by Preset Ministries Canada. Be sure to visit our website, presetministries.ca, to find a Bible study class or workshop that will give you the tools to know God deeply and live differently.